hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Wow, I tell you, I was thinking this morning how well this podcast is going. And, you know, it's, it's because of you. you. You turn up each week and you support me and it's fantastic. But you're not just supporting me, you're supporting all the all of my guests, all the people that have been on here and, and sharing their stories. But you're also supporting all the people that will join us in the future, but also everybody out there who's just having a go at stuff. And it's so fantastic. But we are really flying through the episodes. We're into our 20s and it's just, it's it's fantastic. Anyway, speaking of flying, I want to introduce you to today's guest, Erin uh, Lord. Now, with over 25 years in management with Australian Public Service, the Royal Flying Doctor Service and the university sector, Erin strives to make complex situations simple. Her current work is Director of Aeromedical Solutions, Australia's only medical repatriation broker, sees her and a co-director, Steve McLaren, arrange the return of Australians who have been injured or suffered an illness overseas. Erin says it's an incredibly complex situation for families to work their way through. You have the emotion and fear for your loved one as well as the complexities of both the clinical situation presenting at the time and then you add the aviation aspects and it's pretty easy to see why you might be out of your depth. So over the past year, Aeromedical Solutions has assisted more than 40 patients and their families with their return home. They've extended their offer to work with governments and insurance companies with the aim to disrupt the market and find different platforms to return patients home and provide 24-7 care and contact with families throughout the journey home. A committed Gippslander, Erin works from home in sale and enjoys the challenge of assisting people around the world in what is often the worst moment of their lives. In fact, she considers it nothing short of a privilege. Welcome, Erin. Hey, Karen. How are you going? Good. How are you? Well, thank you. That's good. Beautiful sunny day today. Loving it. It's a stunner, isn't it, here in Gippsland? Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's a, we've had a long, cold winter and now into spring it is absolutely beautiful. Certainly lifts your spirits, doesn't it, when it's nice and bright and sunny like this? It really does, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. And so Erin uh, and I are both from the same town in Gippsland and uh, love, lovely speaking to a fellow Gippslander. And, and, only, and only a few kilometres away right now we are. Yeah, correct. Very close. I know. So I wanted to talk to you about, clearly I've got you on here because I think you're doing uh, an incredible thing with Aeromedical Solutions. And it sort of sounds a little bit, you know, when I was reading at the intro, it's kind of like, oh, God, that sounds complex. And what is that? You know, and how does it work? But it's um, something that is uh, absolutely needed and absolutely critical and particularly right now at the moment with COVID. But you know, other times as well. But 
Um, tell us about the journey that led you to founding Aeromedical Solutions. Okay, so um, I started working at the Royal Flying Doctor Service in 2013 and in an operations management role. And, uh, you know, it became fairly apparent fairly quickly that it's such a trusted and reliable brand, the Royal Flying Doctor Service. And it's sort of very rural, it's um, swoop and scoop, it's it's that kind of, you know, you're in really big trouble sort of stuff. Uh, and so frequently I found that I was being contacted, sort of cold called about people and their problems outside of Australia. So obviously the Royal Flying Doctor Service Aviation is within Australia uh, and mostly concentrated around the outback. But um, yeah, I just found that people were calling me and asking me for advice. Um, and yeah, I just felt like there was um, a real need to create something to support people. So I guess the journey was, you know, a long-term public service career at Centrelink got a really good grounding in, you know, sound decision-making, um, relationship building, um, stakeholder management, uh, and then on to the Royal Flying Doctor Service. Um, and, you know, just that idea of I love solving big problems and I, and I like being relied upon and I like being trusted. So, yeah, it felt like a natural progression to start Aeromedical Solutions. Mm, wow. And, and the Royal Flying Doctor Service, you... What did you say? Swoop and collect or something? Did you? What was that? Uh, swoop and scoop is the, swoop is and the, scoop. <laughs> is the term for it. But, um, you know, obviously I'll say that with great respect yeah. because, um, you know, those incidents where you're on your own on the road in the outback mm. uh, or you've got one other person with you and you've changed the tyre and the car's collapsed on your leg or something like that, you know, yeah. they are an integral part of uh, emergency management mm. across such a broad region. Um, so yeah, I think I learned a lot there about logistics and about, um, you know, problem solving and obviously a lot about the aviation marketplace and also a lot about clinical conditions. So I'd never worked for a health organization before. Um, but fortunately I struck up a, a solid friendship with uh, a clinical manager there and, um, that was Steve McLaren and he and I left Royal Flying Doctor Service to start up Aeromedical Solutions together. Um, so that, you know, he had the clinical side, I had the kind of business relationship, stakeholder management side. So it's been um, it's made for a good offering. Yeah, and I think that, you know, as you say, with respect with the Royal Flying Doctor Service, I think that it's, um, unless you've seen it in action, you don't really appreciate how, uh, you know, when you're saying logistically how fast and how how urgent that the need is for them to come in and, and do their bit and get get out of there, you know, and get somebody yeah. to hospital. And when you're saying covering such a vast area, it, it's yep. thousands of kilometres, you know, from 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 hospitals and from doctors and without the Royal Flying Doctors Service, we'd we, Australians would be you know would would be dying out in the outback. Yeah. That's that's yeah. all there's to it. So, so what? So you and Steve are started Aeromedical Solutions. So ex, explain the service that you provide for people. Yeah. Okay. Great. So we call ourselves uh, case managers and cost containment managers. So. Basically, um, I'll paint a scenario for you um, and I'll explain what it would have looked like when we didn't exist. So what people did before Aeromedical Solutions existed. Mm. So the situation might be that you've got a loved one 
let's say a brother in Bali who's um, you know come off a motorbike and had a very serious injury uh, and so you've got these you got you got a few things going on here you you probably got some clinical information you don't understand mm. um, you've got fear yep. about what's going to happen to your brother um, you might be talking to a person at the other end and there's a language barrier mm. uh, and then you've got this overwhelming feeling that you need to get them home and then you have to then start talking aviation so that's a lot of layers of complexity yeah uh, and overwhelmingly, the, that sense of fear is what will motivate your decision making. Yeah. So in that scenario, um, without our medical solutions, before we existed, you would then start ringing around uh, medical repatriation companies and start talking about, I want to get my brother home, what happens next? Mm. Uh, and then you'd start your head would start to spin with the cost, yep. you know, what it will cost to get your brother home. So, um, you know, we recently, the scenario I've just painted is a case we did a couple of weeks ago. Um, so the cost of that was just over a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, wow. Um, and you know, I think when you're collecting those quotes from, you know, probably possibly up to 20 different providers, mm. um, you start getting into a situation where you may not be, be comparing you know, apples with apples. So, you know, the different offerings and the different, um, you know, everybody's got a business that they need to um, feed. So, you know, I understand why different providers would make different offerings to set themselves apart in the market. But for you, the person who's dealing with that pain, that pain point, that hair on fire problem, that's really tough. Mm. Um, so we're the only broker in Australia. Yeah. And so the first and only. So our job is we take that call from you. Yeah. Uh, the first thing you'll hear is a lot of empathy about, you know, this is an awful situation and we're really sorry that you're in it. But then we start to peel away the layers of the problem and look for different solutions. Now, pre-COVID, that could have been um, finding a provider who could do that transport on a commercial flight. So, you know, that is a significant saving to doing it in a dedicated air ambulance. Yeah. So pre-COVID, that was a significant part of our offering was finding a way to uh, take out two rows of seats on a commercial airline, put a stretcher in, fix it, uh, get a doctor and a nurse on board and get your brother home safely at a significantly reduced cost, possibly even half the cost. Mm. So... Um, you know, and then the other options are if someone's well enough and they can walk, uh, you know, we could stick them in business class and have a medical escort sit with them and reduce the cost even further. Mm. So um, that's what we do. We look for solutions. We find uh, providers who are trusted and reliable. We do all, you know, clinical vetting. We follow a process um, and we contain costs and we manage the case from from the hospital end at Bali, all the way through to the hospital here in Melbourne. Wow. And along that way, uh, you can call us day or night and hear a reassuring voice about what's happening next. So does that kind of paint the picture for you? Yeah, it does. And that, that um, you know, example you gave of Bali, I mean, that's that's a, such a common thing, you know, motorbike accidents in Bali, yeah. but particularly yeah. for Australians. So is that one of your biggest, um, you, you know, the most common thing that you deal with, that type of thing? Yeah, Asia certainly is, um, 
our most common destination, Vietnam, Bali. Um, but, you know, we've done European transports. We've sort of covered the globe. Mm. And is in Asia, is it mostly accidents? Yes, yeah, it is. It is mostly accidents. See, that's fearful. That's um, for the for the family. That that's a lot of fear, isn't it? You know, just because as soon as you, it's kind of like when you hear accident, you 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 straight away think of a, a mangled person not knowing whether they're going to live or not. You know, you just that's that's yeah. the worst case scenario that sort of goes into your, into your mind. And so you can imagine what it's like dealing with people with all that fear and anxiety and 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 uncertainty. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, yeah, thank God you're there, actually. Yeah, well, you really feel for them because it's a situation I would not want to be in. Mm. But having said that, I think, you know, you can make a real difference. Like we recently had a Google review put up um, from the from a sister of someone that we transported just saying, you know, as soon as she found us, she was like, oh, thank God. I don't have to call different companies anymore. I don't have to call the hospital and find out what's going on. Mm. I don't have to manage this anymore. I've just, you know, I've passed this off. And, um, you know, I, I feel I can hear that relief in people's voice when they realise that you can trust us, we're transparent, we'll tell you everything mm. uh, and we'll get, we'll get your loved one home. You know, I can, I can absolutely understand it because um, 17 years ago I took my sister to on a holiday to um, Hawaii and... She, you know, desperately wanted to go, so I took her, and she was just six young, years younger than me, so, um, you know, I was in my, thir- we're both in our 30s, and she had, um, she, she got headaches over there, and she started to walk a bit wobbly, and, you know, refusing to go to the doctors, I just want headache tablets, so I kept getting her headache tablets, and after a week, I said, we can't do this anymore, you know, there's something seriously wrong with you, we're going to go to the hospital, and she, we took her to the hospital and um, she had had a massive brain bleed on the plane. So for a week she had had this bleeding brain uh, and yeah. it was terrible, you know, and she was, by the time she got to the hospital, she was like, you're almost out, you know, and I, but I, but she was so stubborn, you know, I kept saying, you've got to go, no, I'm not going to the hospital. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just sick. And, um, and so anyway, after a lot of, a lot of hoo-ha, you know, she had um, life-saving surgery, but uh, they opened up her brain and said it's full of it's full of tumors as well and she's she's gonna she's gonna die here in Hawaii so so it was quite you know just the um the hearing that you know the the what do I do um I was there on my own you know I was having to make decisions and then it ended up we uh got to the um the Australian embassy in America and now that you're telling me all of this stuff that you do I can see that I don't know whether they did it or they worked through someone like you guys, but do you know, uh, for some reason I was shielded from all of that, Do you, you know, and I'm so, so thankful because it was hard enough just visiting in hospital. And they came to us one day and just said, right, you've, you've got um, two, this window, window of opportunity to get home. You've got two hours, bang, there's a plane, you know, and so we went business class and sort of got home and, and, and they said, the doctor said, um, only because we're only doing this because your sister wants to go home, but um, she's not going to make it. So she's going to pass out. She's going to pass away on the plane. Do you, you know, so you can imagine the the stress of that. And um, uh. she did make it and lived another, another few months and then died. But oh. the thing is, um, I think you, I don't know 
how they did that. I don't know how they paid for that because we came back just on Qantas. You know, so um, oh. if I was facing a fifty to $100,000 debt on top of that, I think I would have been um, a, a nut job. Do you know? I just don't think I would have been able to cope. And I didn't realise it. I didn't realise until you were just sharing that and I started to think about that oh. experience and thought, oh, my God, you know, it it is such a nightmare. Thank God we had the embassy, yeah. you know, helping us. But, um, wow, it's, uh, it's, it's big, isn't it? It's huge. How, how, how often does this happen? Like how... how I suppose people are hurting themselves and getting sick every single day, but only a portion would find you, you know. Well, um, it's interesting you say that. So we went to Canberra and met with DFAT, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Yep. And, you know, it was great that they took the meeting and it was thanks to local federal member Darren Chester who invited, who sort of introduced us to DFAT. But when they met with us, they said, you know, we're meeting with you because... We currently do what you're trying to solve. So when someone calls us and says, I'm in Hawaii with my um, sister, uh, I don't know what to do, they go around the marketplace and, uh, and try to offer some helpful advice, remembering that the department won't pay for your transport to get home. And so what they sort of said was, we will tell people who call us about you because you understand the marketplace and who only goes from the West Coast, who only goes from the East Coast, who only does aeromedical, you know, dedicated air ambulance transport, who only does medical escorts on commercial flights. So from their point of view, we were a good offering because, you know, we, we have all those filters are already in place. We know who does what. Yeah. And so, yeah, people find us through DFAT. Um, because they call and they've got a problem just like the one you experienced and they say, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And DFAT offer our name along with all the other providers in the market. So, you know, they're not selective. Yeah. But I guess, you know, our our offering is is compelling because it's we kind of take care of all of that for you. Mm. So we are, you know, we're grateful that we were able to make that connection with government. Yeah. And how often does it happen? Well, We've only been going since May last year and, you know, things kind of stopped in March. Uh, we've done a few jobs, but certainly not at the sort of trajectory we were expecting pre-COVID. So mm. we've transported more than 40 people home, or well, arranged their transports. Yeah. Uh, and that's from, you know, an, old, uh, an elderly guy from Melbourne who had a stroke in Greece. Mm. Um Another fellow whose plane was diverted in the air uh, with a brain bleed, you know, and just deposited in Sri Lanka oh. on his way back to, I think he was supposed to be flying into Brisbane. Uh, and, you know, his family are like, our dad's in Sri Lanka. Mm. Uh, what do we do? Uh, and they, you know, they flew over there to look after him. But, you know, that that didn't, that wasn't feasible for the long term. So, mm. You know, getting him back to Melbourne, getting him back to Australia was really important. Um, you know, one guy who, you know, on a holiday having a great time slipped running around the pool and, you know, now a paraplegic. So oh, God. I guess wow. the, the stories are heartbreaking. Mm. But what you do also see is this tremendous, you know, you see a family dealing with this crisis but pulling together and 
working out a way to get it done. And, you know, you really do get to see that side of life where people do look after each other and, you know, you're not, it's not your problem on your own. Um, and, you know, that's the part of it that I do really enjoy. Mm. Uh, and so when I see a GoFundMe page, I, it makes me think about who's behind it and, you know, what are they trying to achieve and good on them for, you know, for, for building a, commu- a community around their problem. I, I yeah. respect that. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. And it must happen way more than we think. It must just, in particular when talking about barley, you know, I've just heard, you know, example after example after example of so many people that have had motorbike crashes, you know, and I've seen a lot of those GoFundMe pages as well. And Mm, it's just must, does insurance, travel insurance cover this or is it? Yeah. I mean, mostly they do. Um, However, as soon as you you know, motorbikes are the riskiest thing to do on a holiday yeah. because you probably don't have a motorcycle license here in Australia. Uh, and, you know, you're very, if you read your terms and conditions on your travel insurance, you're very limited in terms of the size of the bike. Yeah. And then when you're adding that you don't have a helmet on, it's just, you know, you're in breach of yeah. your travel insurance. And, it's, I, and I don't place any judgment on anyone, but what I'm saying is the terms and conditions on travel insurance, there's no grey. And they they um, obviously want to limit their liability. So, you know, if if you're going to Bali and you've got a feeling you might ride a motorbike, you need to tell your travel insurance company mm. so that they can adapt your policy, which will cost you more, but will leave you covered. Yeah. So it's always best just to be honest about what you're planning to do. Yep. And then when you get there, don't do anything you didn't plan to do. Yeah. And don't try to save those few bucks. I mean, we're all guilty of it. We all yeah. want to buy the cheapest um, travel insurance, you know, and, and we're all like, well, it won't happen to me, do you, you know, but yeah. I don't think that anymore. Like I've experienced it, you know, and it's um, I don't take chances with travel insurance and I'd never travel without it. But, yeah. um, you, you know, they're, they're, you know, Australians are particularly bad at that. Nah, it never happened to me. She'll be right. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And yeah, I think, bulletproof, um, absolutely. The, and particularly the young, you know, they feel yeah. like this stuff can't happen to them. But certainly our transports out of Bali, they are mostly very young people. Yeah, yeah, riding motorbikes mostly. Yeah. But it, yeah. it's the sort of thing you do. You get over there, you get into the culture, you know, and you start going, oh, yeah, well, let's just get a motorbike. Well, we're not insured. Nah, she'll be right, you know, and it's yeah. just it's just not worth the risk. But then again, look, we're, we're in our 50s and we're, you know, some would call us old farts that are too serious, you know, yeah. too too yeah, careful. Exactly. But, yeah. But you know, there's no way I'd be I'd be telling kids don't bloody do it, just don't do yeah. it. You know, you you'll regret it. <laughs> but yeah, no, you know what? The young people are just gotta uh, they're just gotta do what they're gonna do, and that's all there is to it. And yeah, thank exactly. God for people like you. You know, that oh, are, very you know, kind. Well, no, I mean that. Like it's well, it's our privilege. And it's, but it's not only the families that would be stressed, it, it's the person too. And if they're, you know, they're trying to heal or recover, you know, or, or they'd be terrified in, in a hospital in a strange country. And I don't mean strange, but, yeah. you know, it's not yeah. their home. And yeah. and then they've got their mother or sister or somebody on the phone upset, you know, that's not going to help yeah. their recovery. And just to know that it's taken care of, it's got to be um, helpful to the person trying to recover as well. Yeah, agreed. Mm. And you're very driven by a set of values. What are, what are they and why are they so important? 
Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, it's really important when you start a partnership with someone that you can have a fairly honest discussion about how your values align. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's really important to me that um, Aeromedical Solutions um, and to Steve, that Aeromedical Solutions is that go-to, is trusted, transparent. So, you know, we, we've got contracts now with insurance companies, three insurance companies, uh, and, you know, we report through on the quotes that we got for each transport um, so that they can see the variation and, and it can be just so vast. I mean, you can have yeah. one quote come in at $400,000 and one come in at $220,000. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we've, we're transparent, we're honest, um, we're contactable day and night. So, um, you know, we, we don't ever want to be that person who, you know, when you've got someone that you, you sometimes people just want to talk. Yeah. And, you know, they'll know that their dad's in the air and, you know, he's 12 hours from touching down in Sydney. Mm. And they'll just want to say, oh, what happens if there's turbulence? Like, yeah. And, you know, we just say, well, you know, he's he's on a stretcher and he's strapped securely and he's got two people sitting with him, sitting either side of the stretcher, um, making sure he's okay. But really, they're not that concerned about the turbulence. They're concerned about how much longer you mm. understand what I'm going through. You know, so I think. Values are really important because they drive your decision-making and often you can be um, caught up in a moment and then you realise, actually, this is not what we do. So, yeah. you know, if we were asked to, say, arrange a transport for someone who wasn't actually ill and just wanted to get out of um, a country that wasn't allowing anyone to fly unless it was on an, a, a medical air ambulance... Yep. Well, that's not what we do. So, you know, the, the, what that means is when you're confronted with that in integrity-based decision, you're kind of already there because we know what our values are and we don't pretend anyone's sicker than they are and we don't use a resource to go somewhere just because they've got the money when that resource might be needed by someone who's genuinely very ill. Yeah. So I think values can really help you define who you are and what you do and it makes decision making along the way a lot easier. Mm. Yep, I agree. No, I love that, and I agree with that bit about. I used to um, teach VCAL, a VCAL class, and there was one boy in there who was hearing impaired, and he would have a an Auslan uh, lady come in, and but he didn't care. Le he couldn't care less. And this, um, the, you know, Auslan interpreters were. Uh, Auslan interpreters were very few and far between back then. Yeah. yeah. This is 10 years ago. And I, I used to get upset too, exactly like you're saying, you know, my values aligned with this is that, that you, you don't even care. You know, you're not even using this lady, Do you, you know, and she's getting paid like through funding to sit here and sign language to you while you're sitting there playing with your iPod. And yet there are people out there who are desperately waiting for a, an interpreter to take them to a medical appointment, but yeah. she's unable to because somebody else oh, is here with you. So, yeah. And so I, I agree with that. That, that, makes, that makes my blood boil in ways. You know, it's like there are so many people out there um, in desperate need in an underfunded so many underfunded systems and under-resourced systems and we, we need to be allowing those resources for that. Wow, okay. And so when you were, um, well, let's, let's just talk about COVID for a second, actually. Um, yeah. What, 
I, well, maybe you have. I was just going to ask you, what sort of barriers are people facing in terms of COVID and getting home? Now, you've already spoken about those who are not sick and just want to get home. But what about people overseas? Have you had anyone overseas who has contracted COVID, you know, and mm. wants to be home? But I suppose they're not well enough to travel. I don't know. Have you been in that situation? Uh, well, look, I would say the situation right now is a heartbreaker. Um and this is a mo- this is the moment in time where we genuinely wish there was more we could do. So, you know, there's a local woman who's stuck in India, mm. and she went over for a family wedding, uh, and she just can't get home. And she's bought ticket after ticket. Yeah. Um, and so the only thing that I can try to do is find a provider that's going over there with someone. Mm-hmm. And coming back empty because that would be kosher, you know. It's coming back empty anyway. Yeah. Um, but the reality is there's, you know, with the, with the lack of commercial flights, with the limitation yeah. in relation to how many Australians can fly into Australia per week, which I think is 4,000 a week, um, you know, their tickets, people's tickets are getting cancelled and it's heartbreaking because... You know, India's going through its own COVID situation yeah. and she just wants to be home. She's got family here. Uh, she's got a caring responsibility here that she can't meet. Mm. Um, but, you know, yeah, it, it's just a really bad situation and no one could see it coming. Um, no. But, yeah, in terms of COVID, it's changed the business, which is the least of my worries um, in terms of, you know, okay, our revenue's not where it was projected to be. We're not solving as many problems as we would like. We're not being the listening ear for as many families as we'd like. But in the more broader context, um, there are people who are really stuck Mm. and um, I don't know how they're going to get home. And it's really hard for me because I'm the problem solver and I'm very proud of my ability to solve problems. So to say to a family, I don't know what you're going to do. Um, so yeah, um, COVID's tricky. Um, you know, there was a local case of a local guy from Mafra who got stuck, I think, over in Uruguay. Uh, but you know, he was able to get home, um, and because it was at the very start of it. Mm. But now, um, you know, your options are very limited. And of course, what we did before was put people on commercial flights and save them money. And now that's not an option. We're only left with the, with the one avenue. Um, yeah, it's tricky. COVID's it's turned it all upside down. Oh, it's turned everything upside down, hasn't it? It's just, mm. uh, it's a, and and like you said in there, you know, you, at the start we really didn't know what was happening or or that it would be that bad. You know, I I remember yeah. I was actually going to be in New York in well in America anyway in yeah. at the start of April, and I was speaking at a conference at in New York, and the guy who who organising it rang me and said, you know, I think I'm going to cancel. And I said, oh, okay, well, if this is in mid-March or, or no, at the start of March maybe. And I yeah. said, oh, well, if you think so. And he said, yeah, I think it's safer. And at that point I was half thinking, eh, I don't know if he's right, you know, like this is, it's it's not going to be that bad. And honestly, I, yeah. I was underplaying it, not because, not out of any reason other than I just didn't understand the severity of it. And yeah. and, and I came home and I said to my partner, do you, do you think we should still go? It's like, um, yeah. no. And I said, but we could still go for a holiday, like even if the yeah. uh, conferences are cancelled. And Nick was saying, I 
I don't think that's a good idea. Like, what if it gets worse? And, and it did. It took us took us two weeks to say, oh, maybe we better not go. And then we couldn't cancel anything. You know, we couldn't get our money back on a lot of stuff. And it took me, it's, you know, I only just got some of it back just recently, just trying. And so I think, um, you know, so the woman going to India for a wedding, I think there was all, always that little bit at the start, like I could I could sneak it in. It's probably not that bad. And yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's recklessness or carelessness. I think oh, it's no. we just didn't understand. Um, yeah, well, I know mid-February is my birthday and I that the night of my birthday I was working hard on a big repatriation for the New Zealand government off the Diamond Princess, which was stuck oh, in wow. yep. Yokohama. Yeah. So I remember thinking, uh, this is a cruise ship problem. Mm. You know, this is a problem for cruise ships because... You know, they've got reticulated air conditioning. They're living, you know, close close quarters, lots of people, small footprint. So I remember thinking in February, oh, yeah, this is definitely a cruise ship problem. But, you know, it's, you know, then then it changed, didn't it? So I think we're all, I think we're all right to be, you know, we're optimistic and we, that's how, that's how we roll. Um, But yeah, I, I just can't express enough for all the people that have contacted Era Medical Solutions looking for the answer to get home, you know, my genuine empathy for the situation that they're in. Mm. It's really tough. It is really tough and we don't know how long it's going. I mean, it's just, um, Mm. you know, you think it's calming down then it flares back up and I just see another country and I just can't think which one it was, but another country's just had another, uh, Israel, I think, just had another flare up and, you know, yeah, it's just it just it just sort of drops, then comes back again, and drops, then come back again, and we just I think we just don't know enough about it. But all we can do is just keep doing, you know, doing the right thing. If everyone in the world does the right thing, do you know, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, by the right thing, I don't. You know, we've all got different opinions on that, but at least at least do the right thing as far as stopping the spread. You know, you know, that's so we can all do that, however that looks for us. But, yeah, agree. Yeah. And so speaking before about you being a Gippslander and you 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 very much say in all your, your copy material and everything that you, you're very um, energetic about supporting other Gippsland businesses. So how, how does that look? What do you, how do you yeah, feel? Yeah, well, I guess um, it's, yeah, so certainly I look for opportunities to spend locally. So I guess a lot of people do that. Yeah. Um I am a mentor with the Startup Gippsland program this year. So I went through the program last year as a new startup from Wellington Shire. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's that uh, mentality of, you know, the giver receives mentality. So, you know, it was a great when it was presented as an opportunity to become a mentor. So this year uh, I'm on that panel and, you know, got a call up from... Um, a new startup called uh, Grandpa Bailey's Homemade yeah. Deliciousness or something, um, and you know, had a great chat to that founder uh, about their business and where their blind spots are and what they hope for the future. And so the next thing I do is go online and buy some sauces, and I yeah. made an awesome <laughs> meatloaf on the weekend with a Worcestershire sauce. Um, so I think. You know, you can do lots of things. You can, you know, the social enterprise of Gippslandia, you know, that that's in, an incredible story. It's a classy, interesting online magazine. 
um, you know, subscribe to it and support it. And when you see them publish a story on Facebook, share it with your friends so other people get to see the great things that are going on in Gippsland. Um, you know, when we're allowed to go for a drive, obviously, and, and go to the Dargo pub or uh, for lunch or, you know, Port Albert fish and chips, yeah. all the iconic stuff that people really rave about, make sure you're not missing out on it if you live in Gippsland because often you only do this stuff when visitors come and you want to show off a bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Marlow pub and go and visit Salmon Rocks, you know, that's what we did on our, when we were last allowed to. Uh, but there's just so many amazing businesses in Gippsland. And, you know, the cohort this year, I think they're close to 60 businesses going through. Yep. Um, and, you know, 60 new ideas, 60 new hopes and dreams about what could come from this idea they've had. Mm. It's all pretty exciting and it just needs a community to back it. And I think that's where Gippsland really excels. Yeah, is, I do too. You know, sometimes we might look a bit parochial, but... The upside of that is that we've got each other's backs and we want to see each other do well. And, mm. yeah, I think, um, you know, we can all participate in that because we're going to buy that thing anyway. So why not just buy it from a place where you live in your own backyard? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And when we had the fires earlier in the year, you know, in East Gippsland, it was, you know, a bit of a campaign, which, of course, COVID shut that down again, but mm. a bit of a campaign to, you know, take your esky, take an empty esky up to East Gippsland, you know, yeah. and, and fill it up, buy some cheese, buy some milk, you know, buy some bread, buy, you know, all yeah. the good stuff up there and just sort of support all those businesses to get back again it's um yeah and when you talk about you know startup Gippsland I mean I'm, I'm on the mentor panel I'm a mentor too this year so you know it's, yeah. uh, but we haven't actually got to get together because of um, everything being virtual but like you say you know you know they're, they're so passionate like they've got this idea and they want to get it started and it's it's well me being get off the bench I mean you know that's that's who I am I mean god I get I'm just thrilled to bits to see all these um programs coming up and I believe that Startup Gippsland is one of the um one of the biggest or one of the most one of the strongest um startup programs in in Victoria if not Australia so it's it's pretty damn special yeah the interesting thing about Startup Gippsland I think mate it was definitely last year I'm not sure about this year was that for a sort of accelerator it had the highest percentage of women as founders oh wow yep so, you know, isn't that fantastic um, that we've got all these women who want to try something, who've probably had an idea niggling at them for a while mm. and have thought, well, now's the time. Yeah. I think, um, and Gippsland, it, it, you know, well, I, I'm not meaning to bang on about Gippsland in this podcast, but it is, it is it's sort of, uh, it's important. And I don't know why this is the case, but Gippsland is filled with strong women. Absolutely. There are so many powerful women in Gippsland and I think that we just don't have a culture a big culture I should say of slamming women down do you know I think that women women oh. have got their footing up here and I think that's um I think that's a really damn good thing a really good thing oh, absolutely and so so with startup Gippsland you know it's also funded by I don't know Launch Victoria La Trovelle Authority and and all the shires get involved and they and the shires are fantastic like they really really put yeah. their money where their mouth is and really support you know local businesses and local startups. Ah oh, yeah, I mean they provided venues. You know all of our startup Gippsland classes were held out of the Wellington Shires. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know out of the library space, the art space. Um, 
you know, and just, you know, seeing members of the council come along just because they were interested in the masterclasses. Like, and then that means that when you walk down the street and you, you know, run into them, they'll say, how's your business going? You know, what's happening? So you've got all this interest getting generated. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, it is fantastic. And I should should mention too that Startup Gippsland is, uh, comes from, uh, is a project of Gipps Tech as well and they just do incredible Incredible stuff yeah. around Gippsland. So yeah, it's it's amazing. So when you um you know so when you went through the program last year and and you you were thinking about with Steve, hey, this is a great idea. There's a gap in the market. We need to do this. What sort of um personal challenges did you face? Like, did you did you have doubt or not know where to start or you, you know any fears? Yeah, definitely. Like, I think um. The first step was to introduce ourselves to the aviation market. So we did that while we were building our website because we could kind of say, hey, medical air company, we used to work at the Royal Flying Doctor Service. We're setting up this business. Mm. Um, and it was really interesting. Like half the market said, awesome, great, we'll work with you. Yeah. And half the market said, what are you doing that for? Why are you ringing me? You sound like a competitor. And we kept trying to explain the model. We're not a competitor. We'll be your client. Mm. But they don't, you know, some of them didn't like someone else moving into the market. So I think the, uh, what I had to get over was a, a sense that I had a lack of credibility. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I'm not clinical. I don't fly a plane. Yeah. Um, so, and a lot of that market, People who fly the plane or sit in the back with the patient, they own the business. Yeah. So, you know, I get it. They feel like they're experts in their trade and so they should be and they're very good at what they do. But I'm also good at what I do and my job is to build relationships that create a response when it's needed from someone else. So, you know, there was one particular person in the market who we would we would call our best friend in the marketplace because he offers us advice. We can ring him and say, look, this might be a really dumb question, but how does this work? And he has mentored us without us ever creating that relationship in any formal sense. But he was glad to see us in the market. He thought that we would disrupt it. He thought that we would, um, you know, change the market forever. And I feel like we have. I feel like offering all the suite of options that we do and working and working with a family to say, we think he can sit on a commercial flight. You know, he, if he can walk up the steps and then he can sit up comfortably and then just recline as much as he needs to throughout the flight and it's only 10 hours, we think he can do this. Mm. Um, you know, and we talk to clinical people at the other end about can he do this and we can slash tens and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars off a bill. So wow. I think, um, yeah, I think... There was a feeling that I wasn't credible. But then I realised what I do, I do not do those things that those providers do. I do something else. And that's important and that adds value. So, you know, we went to New Zealand and met with the New Zealand government in January and when they had to do mass evacuations, they called us first. So we did one off, as mentioned before, off the Diamond Princess and we did the other one which was off the Greg Mortimer, which was stuck in Uruguay. No one would let that ship dock, uh, and it would, had been to an Antarctic, you know, an Antarctic cruise. So can you imagine? All those people on board were like, "This is the dream holiday. This is what we worked hard for. We're going to go to the Antarctic." 
So, you know, all those people are then stuck and they can't get off. They can't dock, they can't get home. And so New Zealand just decided it was going to get its citizens home. So, you know, isn't that interesting? You can go there in January and in March you're doing two of their biggest repatriations. Yeah. And that's yeah. because yeah. we're good at building relationships. Yep. And we're good at being clear about our offering and being honest and transparent. Yep. So that's the offer. And I, I you know, I, I need to, anytime I don't feel credible, I need to remind myself that that's what we do. Mm. No, that's fantastic. And it's, it's, it is always imposter syndrome and all those kind of things. And, and, and it sucks that you would feel not credible. And, and you know, particularly the Royal Flying Doctor Service background, you know, like you, uh. you really did know what you're doing. But it's, uh, I suppose it's how people make you feel too, you know. And, and, and you're talking about a fine line here is about how people make you feel and then uh, negotiating that so that you change it to no, I won't allow myself to feel that. Do you, you know, like it's, it's a, yeah. a lot of people can't cross that line. It's really, really hard because it feels like a personal attack, a personal rejection, you know, and it's very, very hard to lift above that and say, well, hang on. No, the skills I have are something that's not actually yeah. out there. So. Well, I'm glad you. Yeah, I'm glad exactly. you did it. I, I'm just thinking while you're talking about that, how, with all the people on the cruise ships, and you know, like you're saying that no country would let them dock. How did how did you get mm. them off? Like, were they did they actually get to a dock so you could get them off, or did you? Yeah, yeah. So the New Zealand and the Australian government worked together in that scenario and arranged with uh, the Uruguay government to allow them to dock and get off the ship and head to a tarmac and fly directly to Melbourne. And then we did the, we hired a private jet to get the New Zealanders from Melbourne over to Auckland. Wow. So you do need, you know, you need to know a lot about border control and immigration and you, sometimes you need your government to help you arrange something. But yeah, so that, that was a Qantas flight that took them from, Uruguay to Melbourne and then we did the last leg. Wow. And and just the thought, you know, because they would have been on those ships, both ships, and Diamond Princess was way worse, you know, because of yeah. um, what, what happened on that. But just the fear, you know, for those particular, well, for those who were sick, you know, am I going to get off this ship and am I going to die on this ship? But those who weren't sick, am I going to catch it? And if I do catch it, will I get home? Or, you know, like... You know, just yeah. uh, my God, the fear of that would have been horrendous. You know, and yeah, well, I remember with the Ruby Princess. Oh, that's the one. Debacle. Was, yeah. It. You know, I remember hearing in March that every time there was another case, their fourteen days started again. Oh. They went back to zero. Wow. And just thinking, imagine you get to day eleven, there's no new cases, and then bang, there's a new case, and you know, five thousand of people. I don't know how many people were aboard that ship making that up but however many thousand people were on that ship the clock starts again I mean imagine how do you keep your spirits up and I know it's not like war and I know it's not like being in the trenches I know it's different but you know you everybody needs someone something to look forward to and if your thing you're looking forward to is getting off the ship yeah and then you get pulled back to day zero like that can really affect your mental health and yeah, I remember seeing people being interviewed and they're just sobbing, just like, I just want to go home. Mm. 
And it's ju- that's not just just the disappointment you're talking about; it's the fear as well. Do you know what? what yeah. You know, you you kind of and and your your immune system would not be operating at its best while you're highly alert and highly stressed. Do you know? And yeah. and counting the days and hoping and praying and not wanting to get near anybody and there'd just be yeah. so many so so many things you're trying to go through and negotiate. You know, it's not just kind of like, well, I'll sit on my deck chair and I'll count yeah. the days down and enjoy the sun. It's not, you know, not that. There's so many yeah. other things, and yeah, it well, it's been. the person on the other end of the phone too, isn't it? The person yeah. who wants you home, who's worried about you. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it, that's why I say it's a privilege because the mm. thing that we get to do when we can do it is just so important. It's the it's the moment that someone will never forget, mm. and yet we were there helping them with, it, with their way through it, yeah. and that's why I always describe it as a privilege because. Mm. I get to know these families for the, you know, week or two weeks that we're we're just in constant contact. Um, I get to know them and I get to share a bit of their anxiety and pain and, yeah, you know, it's an honour to do it. Wow. Well, I think it's um, it's for the rest of us, it's a blessing that you do it, you know, so... It's a, it's a amazing oh, it's amazing thing. I'm so glad that you you know took the leap and and did it. But speaking of taking the leap and uh, you know this this podcast is about get off the bench, getting off the bench and uh, so getting off the bench, bringing idea to life. And so what advice would you give to somebody who thinks they may have a really great solution to a big problem but doesn't yeah. have the courage or the self-belief to give it a go? Yeah, so I think what I learned through Startup Gippsland, and remember, it started in about, I'm going to say, February last year. So, you know, I'd left the Royal Flying Doctors in January. um, And then, you know, like I said, the first thing we did was introduce ourselves to all the providers. Hey, it's Erin. I used to be at the RFDS. Now I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then we started to, okay, we need to build, build a website because people, we have to refer people to something. Um, and so then, fortunately for me, we did start up Gippsland. And the number, the most important thing it taught me was just don't wait for everything to be perfect. Mm-hmm. So I think when you, you know, had a career like I did, where your deliverable must look like this, and you've got KPIs, and you know, you, there's a yeah. shared understanding of what something's going to look like when it's delivered. Mm-hmm. You know, startups often aren't like that, and you've just got to get moving and yeah. So I we were really fortunate that we went to startup school, and they taught us to get moving. And you know, I can still remember my mentor, our mentor, assigned to us through Startup Gippsland, saying to us, "Just move one patient, like yeah. get a patient moved." And so you know, it was just an incredible coincidence, and I mean this that the first patient we moved was a guy from Gippsland. Oh, wow. So, you know, a, a hospital up in um, Queensland called us and, you know, they had a patient that wanted to be closer to home and, um, you know, he'd had an accident falling off the top of a cattle truck. And, yeah, so he was the very first patient that we moved and I was so thrilled that I went to Melbourne and, you know, I went to the hospital that was receiving him from the plane and, you know, I just wanted to shake his hand and wish him luck. And then, you know, I, I knew by that point that he was from Briagalong. So, um, you know, that, I just oh, felt wow, like everything so was, yeah, I felt like everything was happening for a reason. But mm. what 
I would say to a new startup is don't wait for things to be perfect. Get moving mm. and prove your value. Prove your value proposition. Mm. You know, if you think there's something that sets you apart, tell one story about the product that, you know, is yeah. a real life example. So then we were able to, you know, with his permission, you know, put this lovely young man, uh, you know, his testimonial on our website. And that meant when we could tell a story and that meant when people looked at our website, they said, oh, look at that guy, they moved him and he was happy with it. Um, so, yeah, I would say don't wait for everything to be perfect, just get going. Yeah, well, your ducks are never going to line up, are they? It's just, yeah. that, that's, that's life. No, that's great advice, love it. Oh, oh, well, God, this has been interesting, I'll tell you. So where, where can people find you? I mean, at the moment it's pretty hard, but there are still going to be some uh, people needing, you know, exactly like you said, that had nothing to do with COVID. I mean, I know yep. Victorian borders are closed at the minute, but, um, you know, there are still flights going on within Australia and people yeah. are still get away from home and are still getting sick. And so where can people find you? Yeah, so we're at... Uh www.aeromedicalsolutions.com and you can find us on Facebook, Aeromedical Solutions, um, and on LinkedIn, um, look for Aeromedical Solutions or Aaron Lord. Um, and, yeah, if we can help at all, you know, we'd love to. What a privilege, as I've said. Yep, yep. And I think it's. I think you're doing an incredible job. I'm just... Um... You know, so blessed where we are so blessed that there are people like you. But it's not just that you're doing the work, it's that you care so deeply. You know, I think yeah. a lot of people do jobs, um, but do they care so deeply? Not always, mm. you know, so. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, and sometimes I've got to watch that because I, I don't want to become, you know, dependent on the story mm. or de codependent or, you know, needing to feel like I'm saving people, I just want to connect in that moment and 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 solve the problem. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but I think that you care. You care, you know, and a lot of people it's just a logistical issue, hmm. but um but you also see the people issue and that's um yeah, I think that's pretty special. I really do. Thanks, Karen. That's okay, Erin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, thank you very much. And I'm going to put your um, website and everything else in the show notes so people will be able to uh, get find you directly through that. But uh, just so you know, it, it is Aero Medical Solutions and it's A-E-R-O Medical Solutions dot com. Yep. Uh, well, it's been wonderful speaking with you. I'm just uh, so happy that, you know, you, that there are people out there, out there doing what you're doing. I'm, well, I'm happy that you're out there doing what you're doing. It's Thanks for the opportunity to share our story. I really appreciate it. Go Gippsland. I know. <laughs> it's my <laughs> pleasure. But it won't just be Gippsland people using you. So, you know, this yeah. is, goes worldwide. So um, it's, it's such an important, anybody in Australia, for any Australian anywhere else, you know, just don't forget about Erin um, and Steve and Aeromedical Solutions. It's just amazing. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for the chat. My pleasure. All right, well, I'll let you get back to the sunny rest of the day. Good on you. Thanks, Karen. <laughs> no worries. Thanks. Bye. See ya. Oh, guys, that is so fantastic. Look, this this just 
it lights my heart up so much and it's not just about I love startups I love people who get their ideas off the bench I love this and it's it's even better when it's something that is so needed and when you know you can you can kickstart something and get something going but if your heart's not in it you know it's not going to last for very long but when your heart's in it and when you really care about the outcome like Erin does wow you know magic happens and like she was saying you know somebody the the guy the the mentor at Startup Gippsland just said, look, just get one patient. And that's exactly how everything works. Just get your first thing done. And and magic happens after that, I swear. One step, then the next, then the next, then the next. And we're just, we're off and running. So please back yourself. If you've got something to get going, please get going. Look what Erin's done with Steve. And just, it's fantastic. Anyway, you know me, I'm going to bang on about this for hours if I don't stop myself. So hope you have a great week. Uh, thanks very much for your support. Really love you guys hanging in there with me. And um, that's it. I'll catch you next week. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.